We all do it, don't we? We all jump to conclusions. We all judge others when we probably shouldn't. Reminds me of a funny story of uh, uh, back in the days of the general store. Remember those days? The general store. There's still some of them around. Uh, a man calls into the general store and says, Hey, I sent my boy down there to get five pounds of apples. And he came back and I weighed those apples. It's only four and a half pounds. And the store manager said, Well, gee, you know, we check our scales every day. Um, have you weighed your son? <laughs> we all jump to conclusions without knowing the facts. And sometimes I think the only exercise we have is jumping to conclusions. Uh, someone once said that there is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us, it never behooves any of us not to talk about the rest of us. <laughs> the scriptures call that judging, judging others. And you particularly see this, at least I have found this to be true, on Facebook, on Twitter, where we have a tendency to make value judgments upon politicians, upon people that we have a difference of opinion on, and we just flame on them. And we judge them. I know I have done that. I've judged people online, and we've judged people in conversations. We all do it. Um, it's a rare subject that we talk about in the church. And I think it's a subject that is misunderstood. So this morning, I'm going to ask you two questions. First of all, what is judging? What is it? And why shouldn't we do it? Now, I'm not saying that there isn't any place where we should judge others, and I'm going to talk about that too. Uh, so there is a place and a time for us to judge other people. But James is emphasizing what not to do and how not to judge. And the scriptures we're going to look at are two verses this morning in James chapter 4, uh, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, going back to the whole theme of the book of James found in verse, chapter 1, verse 19, it's that theme verse that says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And if you remember, it unfolds from those three phrases. To be quick to hear, according to James, is you know, not just listening, but actually doing something. Because faith without works is dead. Uh, we don't go out and say, be warmed and be filled, go in peace, when somebody doesn't have any food, it doesn't have any clothes. We are supposed to do something. Otherwise, our faith is dead. doesn't imply it never was there. It implies that it's inactive, it's dormant. 
and works are a way in which we activate it. So hearing means to do. And, and then at the end of chapter 2, at the beginning of chapter 3, he begins to talk about the second phrase, which is to be slow to speak. We're to be slow to speak because that little four-ounce muscle between our teeth can do incredible damage to, to others. It also can do incredible good for others. So it's very important to understand what that is and understand how wisdom can come through that mechanism as well. <laughs> and in, this, in the last part, we're in chapter 4, going to the end of the book, he speaks of being slow to anger. What he speaks of here is the idea of an underlying attitude of bitterness, a underlying attitude of judgment against other people. And I think what James is saying is that if we don't understand conflict, if we don't understand the nature of anger, we don't understand the nature of judgment, we will not be slow to, to speak. We will not be quick to hear. And so he's emphasizing this for us to help us to understand in the midst of trials, which the whole book is about, is that these three things are the way in which we move through them, go move through difficulties and trials in life. So the first thing he tells us in chapter 4, in verse 11, first of, first of all, he tells us um, about what judging is. In the first part of verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now, this word speak evil is not the normal word you would see or understand as evil, <laughs> but it's, it's used in 1 Peter, the same Greek word used in 1 Peter 2.12 of slandering believers. 1 Peter 2.12 says, keep your behavior excellent among Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you, that's the same word, uh, as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And then in 1 Peter 3.16, the word is used again. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. The noun form of the word is used in Romans chapter 1 and verse 30, where he lifts out a bunch of things, and it starts by saying, backbiters, that's the word, uh, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, and so on and so forth. There he translates it as a backbiter. So the nature of speaking evil and judging your brother really boils down to slander. That when we judge people, we are slandering them and we are backbiting them because we usually do it not to their face, but behind their back. Some commentators say that this, this kind of act, this act of judging, of slander, of backbiting, is talked about more in the Old Testament than any other sin. A teacher once held up a piece of paper. She put a dot in the middle of it and said to her class, what do you see? Everyone said, the dot. 
So she said, nobody saw the paper. And isn't that what we're like? You know, we see one little imperfection or one little kind of uh, dot of something. And what do we do? We focus in on that. All of our attention is toward the dot. And we immediately start to look at that, examine it, tear it apart when we fail to see the paper itself. That's what judgment does, isn't it? We, we slander people. We backbite people. So let's talk about uh, judgment for a little bit. Let's talk about the uh, proper and improper judgment. Now I'm going to put two verses in front of you to kind of think about. Uh, Matthew 7, which is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Judge not, lest you be judged. For the judgment you pronounce will be will be your judgment, and with measure that you use it will be measured to you. Now look at the 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Paul is speaking, and he says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try these trivial matters? He's referring to the sins that they were involved with. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So you got this kind of strangeness going on, right? You have Jesus Christ saying, judge lest you be judged. If you judge somebody, when you judge somebody, I'm going to use that same measure to judge you. Then you have Paul saying, oh, um, we're here to judge angels. Um, you need to judge people because we're here to judge, the, judge these people. Now, how do you put those two concepts together? Because they seem to be contradictory. Well, think of it this way. Think of a proper way of judging people and an improper way of judging people. So let's talk about that. When you talk about a proper judgment, we're talking really about three things. And this is kind of obvious, but um, I don't know about you, but it, it occurred to me that um, I don't think very obviously about these kinds of things. And so what this is, there's kind of three ingredients that are involved in a proper judgment. First of all, if you think about it, there's a standard that we use to judge something or someone, right? And then there's a circumstance or a situation where judgment is needed in some capacity. Someone's violated that standard. And then there's a person, third point, there's a person who uses that standard and measures that standard up against the standard that's, that's, um, that's important. So in other words, the person is making the judgment of someone who has fallen short. So they take the circumstance, the situation, and they measure it against the standard. So you see those three things? You have the standard, you have the circumstance and the, and the situation, and then you have the person executing it. So let me give you an example of this. We all agree that the scriptures are standard for our lives and the way we live. And we all know that the Jesus is the son of God, and then he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again from the dead. And to enter into a relationship with him, 
we need to trust him by faith. That's a standard we all agree with and we all hold dear. Suppose one of your children hears Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. He didn't rise from the dead, and there's something more that we have to do to get to heaven other than trusting. Now, you would have the responsibility to say to your child, that's not true. Uh, we are to judge false doctrine. Uh, if somebody is saying something uh, contrary to the word of God, we're to step in and say, no, that's not right. That's kind of simple and plain. Believe me, it gets more complicated, but let's look at another situation. Um, let's say that uh, um, you have someone who uh, basically steals something, right? They uh, go into a store something and they steal something. The standard is the same, right? Thou shalt not steal. Uh, then there's the violation or the situation where you gather the facts of the fact that this person had stolen it. You're on a camera or somebody saw you, all of these facts. And then you have the opportunity to confront the person. So we are to judge um, behavior as well. Um, so, so we're to judge false doctrine, we're to judge behavior, uh, but there are times though when we might have a standard and we might have a violation of that standard and yet we're not the ones to do the judging. Let me give an example of that. Um, a woman is married to an unbelieving husband. Now obviously the standard is that she would be married to a a believing husband, but for some reason that didn't happen. And so the standard has been violated, and the issue is that he's an unbelieving husband, and she has to live with him. Now, but the scriptures say that she's not the one to speak about it. It says that she is to win her husband by her conduct without her speaking, without her judging it. So, so you can see how that, that would change. Now, there's an improper judgment too, right? Um, this is where the standard is not the word of God. It's some kind of made-up standard uh, that we have. Maybe it's in the church. Maybe it's in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's a personal opinion or conviction that you have. And it's often done when we judge people improperly without knowing all the facts, Right? We often kind of jump to conclusions, but we really don't know all the facts about the situation. And often <laughs> we make ourselves the, the person that executes that judgment when we really don't have a right to do so. So James is telling us, do not judge. When you do that, you are slandering them. You are backbiting them. But why? Why aren't we to judge? We've already talked about there's two standards out there. And James, although doesn't address it here, I think it's, it's relatively uh, important that we have and keep those in mind, those two kinds of judgment, a proper judgment and an improper judgment. But he tells us why aren't we to judge, according to him, on the negative side. Well, he tells us in verse 11b, 
The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges um, the law. The reason we are not to judge one another is because we put ourselves above the word of God. The law here is referring to the scriptures. Uh, James uses the term law in many different ways in his book, just to outline some of them. He calls it the perfect law of liberty. Remember that in chapter 1. It's a perfect law because it accomplishes what it set out to do. It's also a law of liberty. It's sort of the law and liberty seem to be uh, at against each other. But this law frees people. And as we spoke about, this is the law that liberates a person from the inside out. It's a word that's implanted in, in us. And that as God works through his new covenant, the law is written upon our hearts. And that uh, we are changed from the inside out to liberty and to freedom. It's also called the royal law. Uh, the royal law rules over all. And of course, the royal and most um, important law of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and your neighbor as yourself. So law, love is the royal law. So James is saying that when we put ourselves above the law, we are a judge of the law and everything underneath it, and we judge improperly. Now let me give an example of that. Let's suppose, suppose that you're stopped by a police officer. I don't know if any of you have been stopped by a police officer, but um, you realize that you haven't been t paying attention to your speed limit. And you look up in your mirror and you see those flashing lights and you look down to your speedometer and you realize, oh, well, I'm going too fast. So you stop and he gets out and you say, you know, I'm sorry, officer. I've, uh, I was going too fast, and, uh, and I just wasn't paying attention. And you acknowledge that to the officer. So you are submitting yourself to the standard, which is the speed limit. And you're acknowledging that you violated that speed limit. And so, therefore, you were willing to pay the price of that speed limit. But let's say um, um, you were stopped, and you had a bit of a different attitude. <laughs> This is ridiculous. Um, the speed limit in this street is way, way too low. You know, and this is stupid. This is absolutely stupid. I should be stopped for going that much. Over. You know, they need to change the law in this place. You know? So what you would be doing there is you would be judging the law. You would be putting yourself above the law in terms of your attitude and your action. Right? So... When you judge somebody outside the law of liberty, outside the law of love, you put yourself above the law of liberty and above um, the law of love. So one of three things happens when you judge. You can put yourself under the law, whatever law that ha happened to be. For us, it's the scriptures, uh, but it's the law of the land too. We can put ourselves underneath it and to love one another or we can put ourselves beside the law right we can say well i have an option here i can neglect it i can not obey it uh, i could do what i can i can do what i want and if it fits me i'll obey it if it doesn't eh. that's putting yourself next to the law 
or you can put yourself above the law. And therefore, you take on the authority of the scriptures by substituting your authority over the word of God. And that's what he's addressing here in this passage. So he tells us that we are not to judge. And the first reason we are not to judge is because we put ourselves above the law when we do. The second reason is found in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The second reason we are not to judge is because we put ourselves above God himself. It says here that there's one lawgiver and judge, that's God. And he has the power to deliver or destroy. Now, talking, this is the, one of the words used for salvation in the book of James, five times when we looked at that. Five times it's used, it's, that's the other time it's used here. But able to save, it's not speaking of eternal life, it's speaking of the ability to judge somebody in this life, whether by um, uh, delivering them from the trial or by um, destroying or allowing the circumstance to destroy a person because of their judgment, because of their lack of submission to the law. What he's saying here is quite remarkable, really. He's saying that when we judge other people, we are putting ourselves above this, not only the scriptures, but we're putting ourselves above God himself. We are playing God with other people's lives. Like one, what like once one person said, which one of the Trinity died and left you in charge? I find this especially true when it comes to those outside the faith, those who are not believers. We um, we understand that when we interact with people that had do not have the same faith we do, that that there is a standard of Scripture that's being violated in their life. But often, we don't see all the facts. And often, we are not the ones to judge them either. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 11. I mean, 12 and 13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church which we are to judge? God judges those outside. What he's saying here is that proper judgment is to be executed among us. And there are times when there has to be judgment executed on one another. We find that somebody or someone has violated the standard of Scripture among us, and we need to confront that, and we need to evaluate it, and we need to judge it, not in a condemning way, but in a restorative way. But with non-believers, Paul says, we don't do that. We don't judge them. God judges them. Sometimes I have interactions with the people, and they are really upset about their neighbor, what their neighbor's doing, or what their co-worker's doing at work. And they're upset because there's some kind of moral issue with them. And they're just about you know, angry and, and resentful over that. And... Um, I always say to them, that's not your job. 
Your job isn't to judge them. Isn't to try to drag them into some kind of moral conformity when they're not even a, in a person of faith. That's not your job to do that. You know what your job is? Your job is to love them in spite of all of that. But sometimes we get that reversed in our lives. We think that we play God uh, with other people, and especially those on the outside of our faith. We put ourselves above the word of God, and by putting ourselves there, we also put ourselves above the God of the word, both of them. So why do we do that? Why do we judge so easily each other and those outside of the faith? Well, sometimes it's because we have very low self-esteem. Ever noticed that? That sometimes we, we put people down and we judge them, slander them, backbite them because it mm, makes us feel better about ourselves. It raises, I'm not as bad as that person. And so we raise ourselves above uh, them. Another thing that we do is what I call projection, right? Uh, what we do here is that we have guilt about the same issue that that person's dealing with. So what do we do? We project our guilt and our shame upon the person who's doing the same thing in order, once again, to relieve us of the burden of the guilt uh, that we are dealing with. And you find this often in homosexuality. How many of our church leaders have railed, railed against homosexuality and only to find out that they're dealing with the same thing? And they step down from ministry because they have dealt with that orientation in their own personal lives. But it doesn't have to be just with that. It can be with a lot of other things that we deal with. C.S. Lewis said this, that which we hate most in others is often what we deal with most in ourselves. What James is saying to us is the root cause of improper judgment is that we are placing ourselves above the word of God and above God himself. The problem is basically you and me and how we execute judgment. Now, when you hear something like this, these are kind of tough words to take. It's easy to do the practice of what I call the, pork, uh, the pitchfork religion. Um, you know, where you take the pitchfork and you're throwing the hay into the, into the barn or into the wagon. And it goes something like this. Well, I know somebody can, that needs to deal with this. And they throw the hay right over their shoulder and not deal with it. But what I want you to do, I want you to do this week. And look closely at yourself and pay attention to the judgmental remarks that you make. Um, perhaps you're working with uh, a believer or an unbeliever and you're seeing actions and things that violate a standard, but your tendency is to jump in there and to judge them instead of jumping in there and to care for them. Perhaps it's somebody in your family, uh, your mate, your partner, uh, your kids, 
and you're judging them without really knowing all the facts. And also you might be judging them upon an expectation that you have that you've never communicated. And so they're wondering, what am I supposed to do? And you're not telling them, but they fall short. But you judge them because even though that might be the case, you still don't have all the facts of why they didn't do what you wanted them to do. Are you using the correct standard when you judge others? Do you have all the facts when you judge another person? Are you the one that's responsible for judging that person? Like with the story that Stephen Covey shares in his great book, which I recommend, The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective People. He says, one Sunday morning, you were in a subway car going, riding into New York, and riding uh, in New York, I should say. People were sitting quietly, and some were reading newspapers, and some were lost in thought, some resting their eyes closed. Then a man entered the subway car with his children, so loud and so rambunctious that the whole climate changed. The man sat down right next to Covey and closed his eyes. The children were yelling and screaming and throwing things and grabbing papers. But the old man, the man, didn't do anything. It was hard not to get irritated. The man just sat there and did nothing. Now, how can he be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that? Judgment. Finally, Covey couldn't take it anymore and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little bit better. The man lifted his gaze and, as if to come to consciousness of the situation, said, Oh, you're right. I guess I, I should do something about it. Um, we just came from the hospital where their mother just died an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess um, they don't know how to handle it either. Hmm. Things changed, didn't they? Suddenly, the standard is not his anymore. The standard is something quite different. And he didn't even know all the facts, did he? And he moved from judging to serving and to caring because that's what we're called to do. For City Church, let us focus upon building each other up, not tearing each other down. And that doesn't mean that there are things don't need to change. It doesn't mean that, that we aren't to be slow to anger or we are not to judge people, but let's use the right standard Let's make sure we have all the facts and that we are not assuming a higher authority than God himself. You with me? Great. Let's pray. Father, we uh, look at these words and uh, whenever we point a finger, we got three of them pointing back at us, right? We have the Father and the Son and the Spirit of God pointing back at us. Lord, may we... Um, when judgment is needed, may we use the standard of the word of God. May we also gain the proper facts and may we know who is appropriate 
to execute that judgment among us. But Lord, I pray along with what James is emphasizing, and said so often, so often, we judge others. We slander, we, um, we backbite, and we don't use the standard of the word of God. We use some kind of conviction we have or opinion about something, and we barely ever have all the facts. And really, we are not the ones to be doing it at all, especially for those outside the faith. So, so Lord, I pray that as we move through this week, we will be extra, extra sensitive to what we say in a judgmental tone. Give us the power that you've given us to speak words that encourage, to speak words that build up, and to speak words that um, love people in spite of what they do and what they say. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.